The proclamation of God's word can be found on page six of your worship folder. Our sermon text reading today comes from John 21, one through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Robin, and thank you to the, to the Rogers for that beautiful offertory. As a pastor, I have a number of early morning meetings. I mean, you all work nine to five, and so if I want to meet with you, one of the easiest times to meet is during the morning for breakfast. And usually we go to a, 
a coffee shop or a local Detroit Coney Island, get the, the cheap bacon, the cheap eggs, coffee's a dollar, the whole bill's less than $10. It's really, it's, it's a great time to me. The, the city is very quiet. There's a, a freshness and eagerness to the day. I love these breakfast meetings, but for as good as a Redeemer breakfast meeting is, it is nothing compared to this breakfast meeting that we are about to see in John chapter 21. Now, this morning is going to be the second to last sermon from the gospel according to John. So next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, it's going to be the culmination of John. We're really going to be looking at sort of some overarching themes from this book, the reason for why this book was written. This will be the last sermon where we're sort of going more verse by verse, doing an intentional look at the chapter. And what we see here is that Peter, after all he has gone through, after all that he has seen, after all that he has experienced, even after his own denial of Jesus, what we see here at the end of John is Peter being sent out for ministry. Ministry is now going to be a priority for Peter. And one of the things we we, we try really hard to do here at Redeemer is, is we try really hard to help you understand how the gospel works, how, how God actually motivates people for ministry, because there, there, there's a lot of confusion about how God's grace works. There's a number of Christians you know, that just want to be radical for Jesus, they want to be passionate for Jesus, they want to be sold out for Jesus, but you, you get the sense that it's just sort of human effort, just grinding your teeth and gutting it out with human strength. and. That's not gospel ministry. It's actually pretty tiring and eventually will flame out. But then there's the opposite air. There are those that say, yes, I want to receive God's grace and I want to be loved by Jesus. But that grace does not compel these people to do anything with it. And they waste their lives. And both of those airs are a fundamental misunderstanding of how God's grace works. It's a fundamental misunderstanding even of the gospel according to John. So again, we are now at the end of the gospel according to John, and this ending, this this vision for, for ministry should not surprise us because the end of the gospel according to John is basically the same ending as the other gospel accounts. Think of the end of the gospel according to Matthew, the Great Commission, to, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Think of how Paul writes his letters. Paul always begins the first half of a letter describing what Jesus has done for us, and then the second half is always, therefore, now put that grace into action and live lives of gratitude. Don't just sit on this grace. You see, this this basic structure of grace, then living lives of gratitude, this is what makes Christianity different than every other world religion. Every other religious system says, go and do something, and therefore God might bless you. But what we have seen in John is that the hero of this book is Jesus. It's Jesus who has done the work. It is Jesus who has lived. It is Jesus who has died. Because of Jesus you are blessed. Therefore, go and make a difference in the world. I have three points this morning. First point, We're going to see that this is the fullness of grace arrived. Second point, the fullness of grace renewed. Then last, and number three, the fullness of grace lived out. So let's start with point number one, the fullness of grace arrived. The story this morning 
picks up with a number of the disciples fishing. If you remember from earlier, a few of these men are actually fishermen, and so this is their livelihood. There's, there's, there's some pastors and some commentators that think by these men fishing, it's them being cowardly, that they're actually trying to, to leave Jesus behind. I'm, I'm not convinced of that. These men just simply needed to get back to work. They needed their livelihood. The Bible seems to treat this as a very neutral event. It's not good or bad. It's just men that are fishing. Now, there, when, when you're reading the Bible, there's certain promises that you can bank your entire life on, just things that you know are going to come to fruition. And verse 3 is one of those promises, whenever I go fishing. Look at verse 3, whenever I fish with my friends, they caught nothing. I just, I'm a terrible fisherman. Everyone tells me, you, you, you know, fishing is this wonderful sport. You get to be out in a, in a lake. Oh, I, I'm just bobbing up and down the water with a string, looking at a string down the water. To me, it's not my cup of tea. I sit there, nothing happens. I start to feel seasick, and there's no fish. And that's been the experience of the disciples. They have been out all night in their boat, bobbing up and down, and they have caught nothing. Now, now for a guy like me, if, if I go out fishing, I don't catch anything, no big deal. This isn't my livelihood. But for these guys, this is how they make money. That's actually why they're fishing during the nighttime. You see, that's a little detail that John includes, that they're fishing at night. The reason for nighttime is that you would go out, you would fish all night, and then you would come in as the sun comes up so that you might sell your fish at the market as the day is about to start. So no fish, no money. I mean, you're, you're, you're lacking here. There, there's a deficit and after this long night without catching anything, just about as the sun is about to arise, Jesus is on the shore. Now, at first, they don't know it's Jesus. It says here that he's about 100 yards away, so the length of a football field. And so maybe it's just too far to see, or they don't recognize him. For some reason, they do not understand that this is Jesus. But Jesus yells out to them, children, do you have any fish? The word children used here, it's a very casual term. D.A. Carson actually says, you know, it would be the equivalent of a Scottish person saying, hey, lads, or maybe if you're from down south, y'all, if you're from the Upper Peninsula, you skies. I mean, that's the kind of phrase that Jesus is using here. Just, hey, buddies, pals, guys, you got any fish? And the answer, of course, is No. And, and, and Jesus knows this, and so he's going to give them the instruction to simply cast their nets on the other side of the boat. Now, there, there's no way, and I, again, I'm not a fisherman, but I don't think there's any way that this should make any difference. I mean, it's not like fish prefer the left side or the right side. You just have fish that are swimming around in the water. So whether the nets are on the left or on the right, it does not matter. And so this comment from a stranger on the shore, it would almost be insulting. Like, buddy, I've been out here all night doing my best. And you think it's as simple as simply casting my nets on the other side of the boat? And it's, this is almost insulting. But the disciples listen, and they put their nets onto the other side of the boat, and they don't catch just a fish or a few fish, but the nets are completely 
full. I mean, it's, just, it's so heavy that they, they don't even have the, the strength to bring the nets back into the boat. And as soon as they see these full nets, then it begins to click in their minds, oh, this is Jesus that is talking to us. Peter jumps into the water. He swims the full hundred yards to go and meet Jesus. And that, that brings us to verse 9. So the, the disciples, they, they get back onto the shore. On the shore, Jesus has a little fire. He is preparing breakfast. There's fish already on the fire. And during this fish breakfast, the guys bring their nets up onto the shore, and they count out that they have caught 153 large fish. That's a lot of fish. 153 that's a, a lot of discussion that, that goes into the number 153. You know, in the Hebrew world, numbers were, were very important. And so think of the seven days of creation or 40 years in the desert. And so commentators are, are trying really hard to figure out what the number 153 means. I'm pretty simplistic. And so I think it just means they caught a lot of fish. I'm not convinced that there is any uh, secret message behind it. I mean, there's some that use triangulated numbers to figure out, you know, the number of Hebrew words that go together. And there's, you know, Augustine's thing and church fathers say different things. I just think it, it's just a lot of fish. That's, that, that's the reason. They caught a lot of fish, but that is important, that they caught a number of fish. Here's why. If you've been at Redeemer for a while, you remember back when we were in John chapter 7. This is Jesus at the Feast of Booths. And at that Feast of Booths, Jesus says that he is the living water. And this is in reference to Ezekiel 47. And this large number of fish is also in reference to Ezekiel 47. This is Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 9. It reads, And wherever the river goes... Every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Engliam, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Ezekiel is a very difficult book to figure out. It's lots of end time language and imagery. So there's lots of things that are, are very confusing about it. But, but the overarching message of Ezekiel is this, this vision of looking forward to this temple. And in this temple, God is going to be there and God's people are going to be there. It's, it's an anticipatory revelation of what the kingdom is going to be like. And one of the images that Ezekiel sees to describe just the, the surplus of the kingdom, just the overflowing bounty of the kingdom, Ezekiel says that there is going to be fish that are caught in nets, and there are going to be overflowing amounts of fish. And so when we see here in John chapter 21 that these fishermen at the sight of Jesus are bringing in overflowing amounts of fish, the nets are full, what does it mean? It means that Jesus is ushering in this new kingdom. That, that, that world in which we are looking forward to God and his temple and his people are all together and there's going to be plenty and there's going to be surplus. Jesus arrives, the kingdom arrives. 
Put this into the context of the gospel according to John. We have seen Jesus live. We have seen him die. We have seen him conquer death and sin through his resurrection. And as soon as that happens, at his presence is the presence of God's kingdom breaking in. You're with Jesus. You get to experience the kingdom. Now, of of course, the kingdom is not fully here. Life is still very hard. Cancer is still very real. People still die. Life is still very tough. But if you are with Jesus, you get to hint of the kingdom to come. You get the hint of the better age. It would be something like, as an American citizen, if you were traveling abroad, you know, no matter what happens, if you're in a different country, you're a stranger there, and you know at any point you can call on the U.S. government to have your back. That, that's what it's like. You have the backing of the kingdom of heaven. If you are with Jesus, you have the power of heaven at your back, even though we still live in this very difficult and bleak world. Jesus arrives, lots of fish, meaning the plenty of the kingdom is now here. That was the first point. Now let's go to the second, which is the fullness of grace renewed. Besides Jesus, the main character this morning is Peter. We've seen Peter a number of times now in John. Peter is is, is very brash, He often has a a false sense of confidence. You see it in in verse 7 that when Peter sees Jesus, he jumps into the water and swims the full 100 yards. We should not be surprised because that's just the kind of guy that Peter is. But for all the eagerness and all the bravado of Peter, you need to remember that this is the same Peter that recently denied Jesus. During the events of Holy Week, as Jesus was sent to trial, and Peter was asked, do you know Jesus? Are you friends with Jesus? And Peter was asked, not once, not twice, but three times, and each time Peter denies Jesus. So notice, after this breakfast meeting, notice in verse 15 that Jesus is going to confront Peter. The question that, that Jesus will give to Peter is, is Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you actually love me? And Jesus will ask that question not once, not twice, but three times. So clearly Jesus is working off of Peter's recent three-time denial. You know, Peter, he's very bold, he's very presumptuous. What, what, what Peter needs here. In John, you know, before we get to the book of Acts, you know, where, where Peter's this almost superhuman apostle, what Peter needs before he is about to start his ministry is he needs to be renewed by grace, meaning he needs to come to the end of himself. Jesus is asking Peter this question three times so that Peter might finally be done with himself. This self-confidence, this bravado that Peter has. Jesus says, I want to undo you. You know, early on, Peter is pretty quick with his apology. But it's very different just to do a, a quick superficial apology. That's very different than actually repenting. Think of all these apologies that you might hear from a politician or from a Hollywood 
star. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I, I let you down. I'm sorry I didn't live up to your standards. I wasn't true to myself. That, that's not real repentance. That's just being embarrassed. True repentance is coming to the end of yourself and then turning fully to Jesus Christ in faith. That is what needs to happen to Peter. He needs to be done with himself. He needs to be done with his human strength, his bravado, his self-confidence. Jesus wants to undo him, not because he is against him. This is not Jesus just piling it on Peter to make him feel really bad. No, Jesus in his grace, is trying to undo Peter of himself so that Peter might fully come to finally trust in Jesus Christ alone. You know, theologians, they often describe faith and repentance as two sides of the same coin. And so if you want to genuinely have faith in Jesus, that means you're turning to Jesus, then that automatically means that you are turning away from yourself. And if you are automatically turning away from yourself, then that means that you are automatically pursuing Jesus. Those two things need to go hand in hand. And so if Peter is going to follow Jesus in the coming years, then he needs to finally turn away from himself. He needs to be undone so that he might be renewed by this fullness of grace. So bring us to point three, and at the very end, we're going to put all these points together in a way that hopefully makes some sense. Right now, we're just kind of jumping around, but point three is the fullness of grace now lived out. As Peter experiences the fullness of the kingdom, these full nets, he's repenting, he's turning from himself, Peter is going to be renewed by grace, and then Jesus is going to give him commands. He's going to say, Peter... You've experienced the abundant kingdom. I've restored and renewed you. Now, go and live that out. And so, three times, Peter or Jesus will ask Peter, do you love me? Peter will say, yes, I do. And each time, Jesus will give Peter a command. Peter, I want you to go feed my sheep. You know, when a, a pastor is installed of a congregation, that there's often a charge that goes with the installation. It's just a, a very quick sort of ex- exhortation for the pastor to, to do a good job and to work out his, his calling. And at least half the time, the charge is based off of this. Now that you're a pastor of this church, feed the sheep, tend to the flock. It's a very common charge given to pastors, given to elders. But... This, this, this principle is not just for pastors and elders. Anyone that who has experienced the grace of the kingdom, anyone who has been restored to Jesus by grace, now therefore and go do some ministry, some people-oriented ministry. Feed sheep, be with people, do ministry. If you have received grace, you are to be a conduit of that grace for other people. When I was in seminary, the, the theologian that I had to read the most often was Herman Bovink. And one of his ideas, his major ideas, is that grace renews nature. That as you receive the grace of the kingdom, that as you receive the grace of Jesus Christ, it does not destroy or conquer you. It actually renews you to finally do what you were made to do. 
Grace renews you as a man. It renews you as a woman so that you might be who God made you to be. And who did God make you to be? He made you to be a blessing to other people. You're made to serve. You're made to minister. You are made to be outward facing. You are made to be a blessing to other people, a blessing to your roommate, a blessing to your spouse, a blessing to your kids, a blessing to your neighbors. You are made to be outward facing towards your coworkers and to the city and eventually to the very ends of the world. You are made like Jesus to be an outward facing person and this grace that has come from heaven through Jesus to you, that grace is renewing you so that you might finally do what God has made you to be, which is to be a blessing to others. You're made to serve. You're made to die to your own preferences and desires for the sake of other people's happiness and joy. It's what you're made for. Think, Think of Jesus. If you want to live the fullest and most purposeful, most joy-filled life possible, then you will want to live like Jesus. And how did Jesus become the most fully human, most fully alive, most fully purposeful person ever? Well, all he did was serve. He humbled himself for the sake of others to the point of death. So if you want to live a full life, being filled with his grace, then you will be outward facing towards other people. A life of ministry is the fullest life. Now, when I I say a life of ministry, I I do not necessarily mean that you need to go into vocational ministry like Peter did here. All I mean is that the bent of your life would be to feed and tend to other people. That's what grace does in us. You receive grace, it renews us so that we might have a bent towards serving others. Let's just be real honest. You know, it's Sunday morning, it's Palm Sunday, you're hearing the the pastor preach, and you think, ah, yes, that sounds good. I do want to be a blessing, and I do want to serve other people. Sounds good today, but tomorrow morning, when the kids are cranky, and the baby is crying, and your coworkers are a mess, it it gets a lot harder. It's hard to be others-oriented. It's tiring, We only have so much energy, and it's hard to host people, and kids take a lot of work. Outward-facing ministry is discouraging. You've been praying for a neighbor for years, and there seems to be very little spiritual progress. And then we we, we look at ourselves, and we see our our lack of fruitfulness, and we thought, well, God God can never use somebody like me. I'm not the next Tim Keller. I'm not the next Rosaria Butterfield. I just, it's just, that's not me. And then perhaps most of all, our sinful past makes us doubt that God could ever use us in any sort of meaningful ministry, that our past has disqualified us. But but notice here, what are the qualifications for Peter's ministry? I mean, again, this is Peter, just in a few weeks, this is going to be the Peter that we see in the book of Acts. What are the qualifications for Peter's ministry. It's not that he has strong faith. It's not that he has been faithful. It's not that he has a blameless past. We've actually seen the opposite of all three of those things in this gospel account. 
What we, we have seen is a rather unimpressive, proud, cowardly man. The only qualification that Peter has to do any sort of outward-facing ministry is that the kingdom has broken through and that Jesus has restored him to the kingdom. So if Peter, all he needs to do, he just needs to turn away from himself, trust in Christ, be with Christ, and he will have the full backing of heaven for Peter to move forward. That is the only thing that grounds and qualifies Peter's ministry. So here's the key, really, for this whole sermon, and this is one of the main points of John. Whenever you feel as though you have any sort of deficiency for ministry, you don't have enough energy, you don't have enough gifting, you have too bad of a past, you need to remember the full net of fish. You, you need to remember that it's not about you, it's not about your lacking because you have full nets of fish, you have the fullness of grace, the fullness of the kingdom is now at your back. If you are with Jesus, you have the fullness of all that God is in heaven at your back. Let's put all three of these points together. We've seen full grace that breaks through with Jesus Christ. We see full grace that renews and restores. And finally, we see full grace that empowers us to live for other people. The full force of the coming kingdom is breaking into this present age. And that grace that is breaking in is sending us out into the world to do good. Now, I I don't want to be one of those, those pastors that claims to know the future. I mean, for all I know, there's going to be another global pandemic, and the world is going to be screwed up for another two years. I, I, I don't know the future. I'm not going to make any prophetic predi- predictions. But Redeemer, I, I, I do know this. I do know what the Lord is calling us to do. And in my sense, again, without trying to be overly dramatic or prophetic, my sense is that He is just getting started with us in terms of ministry we serve a big God. I mean, we serve a God who reigns in the heaven that every single square inch is under his reign and rule. That's the kind of God that we serve. And that God in Christ is breaking into this present age. And so we go into the city where we're compelled to go into the city with God at our back, with nets bursting with fish. We have that sort of energy and strength to go into the world and to make a difference. There's so many needs just here in Metro Detroit. There's the need for church plants. Think of Steve up in Sterling Heights, Jerry coming to West Dearborn this summer, hopefully some more plants here in the city. There's the need for theological education and clarity. There's the need to minister to the poor and the downcast. There's the need to reach campus students, the need to care for the disabled, the need to reach the secular educated elite. There's the need to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The the, the needs for ministry are endless. It can almost be a little bit overwhelming when, when you see the ministry needs in the world, but remember this. We have the kingdom at our back. If you are walking with Jesus into whatever ministry that God will call you as an individual, whatever ministry he's going to call us as a church into, we need not fear because our past, our weaknesses, our limitations does not hinder us because we have the kingdom 
with us. If you are under the impression that free, sovereignly administered grace is the grounds just to, to sit back, have a lazy life, to check out, just die and one day you will go to heaven, then there is a major dysfunction in how you, you understand how grace works. Think of a, a, a fireman. He's trying to you know, put out a fire. So he's this big hose. It's connected to the fire hydrant. He, he's just holding that hose, and the hose is putting out the fire. That, that, that's what we're called to. That, that's how grace works. You have the grace and the power of heaven that's being channeled through us that should go out into the world. And if for some reason that grace is not moving through us and out, then there's a major kink in our gospel Pose. We ought to be conduits of grace towards other people like we see happening here with Peter. As we come to the end of the gospel according to John, remember this verse from the very beginning. This is from the prologue almost two years ago. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We have received the fullness of grace. The the, the fullness of God, the fullness of the kingdom has been given to us. This grace that has been given, it's it's not shallow, it's not an inch deep, it's, it's deep. In fact, what we see here that this grace that is given, it's so full that it's actually overflowing. It's overflowing out of heaven in Christ into us. Christ has been sent out to fullness. Therefore, when you receive Jesus, you receive fullness. You're no longer a weak person. You're no longer lacking. So many people, especially Christians, operate with a gospel deficiency. I'm, I'm weak. I can't do this. Like, woe is me. I mean, you don't know how, what I've done. You don't know my, my limitations. That is not who you are. If you are walking with Jesus, then you are a full person, so full that you ought to actually be overflowing. We see a full Christ Every single week in the gospel according to John, for two years now, we have seen pictures of just how full Jesus is. We've seen Jesus full of power by turning water into wine. We've seen Jesus full of grace, ministering to Nicodemus in the night. We've seen Jesus full of power, healing the crippled. We've seen Jesus full of truth as he has rebuked the religious elite. We've seen Jesus full of life as he has brought Lazarus back from the grave. We've seen Jesus full of completion. When he said, it is finished on the cross, the proof of that finished work being his resurrection, For 21 chapters, we have seen a full Jesus. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Therefore, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, now that you are renewed by this grace, you're full. There's no deficiency in you. There's no lack in you. You're full. Therefore, overflow Tend to the flock, feed the sheep, overflow my grace into other people. Peter saw that fullness when he saw the fish. That's bursting with fish. The fullness of the kingdom has arrived. So be done with yourself. 
like Peter, be brought to your end. Stop acting as though you have the strength. Stop acting as though the fullness resides in you, but be renewed by the fullness of Jesus. Be renewed by his abundance. And as you are being renewed by fullness, let's get to work. Let's start doing some hard and exciting ministry here in the city. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we again give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came not from a place of weakness, not from a place of deficiency, but from a place of fullness, the fullness of where you reside in heaven. Jesus, that you would come to us, that you would lower yourself, that you would leave that fullness so that we might be right with you as a gift upon all gifts. Oh, Lord, we do pray now that you would fill us And that you would renew us in such a deep and profound way, like you did with Peter here, that we might become the kind of men and kind of women and the kind of children that go back into the city overflowing with grace, overflowing with good gospel ministry. Lord, fill us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.